Very glad to be with you this morning. Very glad for your presence as well. We're thankful for those that have joined us on Zoom. It's my prayer this morning that the things that we study will help you in your walk with Christ. That it will help you to mature as a Christian and to gain ground, so to speak, in the fight against Satan. You know, the Bible is said to be many things. It's a book of history, the best history book ever written, detailing mankind's journey from the very beginning to now. It's also a book of wisdom, wisdom that came from the very mind of God, written by those that God has tasked to lay His thoughts on paper and to give us blessings that we can If we will heed to those words of wisdom, we will gain the blessings that He promises to those that follow Him. But of all the many things that the Bible is, I believe more than anything it is a book of love. The love, the story of the love of a father desiring a close relationship with His creation. And that is what God wants with each and every one of us, a close relationship with us where he is our father we count on him for our every need and we look to him in times of trouble as a father God wants us to grow to maturity he doesn't want us to remain babes in Christ our entire life he wants us to grow and mature and help others grow and mature in their walk with Christ and receive the blessings that He so richly desires to give to each and every one of us. This morning I would like to bring some very simple, but I think important steps that we need to take to maintain a good relationship with God and to grow in that relationship and get closer to Him. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 8 and 9, we see that our relationship, as we take a survey of God's Scriptures revealed to us, we see that our relationship is that is of a covenant relationship. By that I mean that there are boundaries that, and expectations that God has for us and things that God promises that He will do in return. God has set the terms of this relationship. We, don't, we aren't allowed as the created being to say, God, this is how I want this relationship to go. I want you to meet me on my terms. That's not how it goes. And that's how from the very beginning in the garden we see God set the terms for the relationship. He has promised to provide and deliver us out of any trouble that we are in if we will submit to Him. And we see His faithfulness to do that over and over throughout history. We can look at how he dealt with the children of Israel as they came into the promised land in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verses 8 and 9. It says, But because the Lord loved you, he be- and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, hath the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh of Egypt. 
Now know therefore that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, which keepeth covenant and mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. There have not been a thousand generations to walk this earth. But God says he will be faithful no, longer, no matter how long this earth lasts. He will be faithful to his promises. God expects a level of commitment from us as well. Now God has always revealed enough of himself to mankind so that we can have an obedience based on the facts, based on faith, not a blind faith, but faith based on evidence. In the Garden of Eden, God gave Adam and Eve both positive and negative commands. He gave them guidelines that they were, stay, were to stay within. He told them that there was a tree in the middle of the garden. He told them to dress and keep the garden, but he said there was a tree in the middle of there that they were not to partake of. As long as they stayed within these boundaries, they would have a close relationship with their Creator. But when they partook of the forbidden fruit, choosing to go against God's guidelines, against that covenant relationship, their close relationship with God was severed. And they no longer had that intimate relationship as they did in the garden. The first step in obtaining a close relationship with God is that sin in our life must be addressed. Just as in the garden, sin separated Adam and Eve from their Heavenly Father, our sin separates us from God as well. In John chapter 14, verses 6 and 7, Jesus said unto them, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. If ye had known me, ye would have known my Father also. And from henceforth you know him and have seen him. The only way we come to God the Father is through Jesus Christ the Son and the Gospel. Galatians chapter 3, verses 26 and 27 says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. When we put on Christ, we receive all the spiritual blessings that God extends to His children. Because they are only in Christ. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. John chapter 14 verse 15 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. This covenant love is a love based on our actions. Based on our willingness to be the kind of person that God wants us to be. So obedience to the gospel is the boundary line, if you will. The line that we must cross to come into a relationship with God. You know, there's a time, as the Apostle Paul said, that we were without sin. But when, the law, when our knowledge of the law of God revives or when it comes to fruition, when we reach that age of accountability, we realize that we have sin and we are separated from God. And it's imperative that we move across the line and become a child of God through obedience to the gospel. Call your minds to Romans chapter 6, beginning verses 1 through 6. What shall we say then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. How shall we that are dead to sin live any longer therein? 
Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into his death? Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. But in verse 17 of Romans chapter 6, But God be thanked that you were the servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you. Being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. So through obedience to the gospel, we put off the sin, the pursuit of sin, and we become the servants of God and of righteousness. As I said before, baptism is where we contact the blood of Christ and are put in to Christ. However, being a Christian is not a destination, but it's a journey. A journey through this life into eternity in the home we look forward to with our Heavenly Father. When we put on Christ, we begin living a life of a Christian, making Christ's desires our desires and putting away the desires we had before becoming a Christian. You know, when a doctor earns a degree and passes their qualifying exams, they're granted a license that allows them to practice medicine. But if that doctor does not practice medicine, if they do not put into practice the things that they have learned, pretty soon they're not going to be able to practice medicine anymore. They have to maintain their skills, so to speak. They have to continue to grow in their knowledge and their ability to work in that chosen field. You know, if a Christian wants to maintain their relationship with God through Christ, they must grow and mature and be actively working and pursuing Christ. If we don't, we will too soon fall back into sin. John chapter 14, verses 23 and 24 says, Jesus answered and said unto them, If a man love me, he will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and the word which ye hear is not mine, but the Father's which send me. You know, this is very clear teachings that Christ had for us. Over and over again, he says, If you love me, keep my commandments. My commandments aren't grievous, but if you love me, do what I ask you to, and you'll be blessed. You know, many in the religious world today say this is a very legalistic approach to Christianity. Requiring obedience is saying that the grace of God is of a none effect. They would say that love is more of an emotion and a feeling than an action. They may say that our relationship with God should be based on our desire for emotional and spiritual intimacy with God. Now, I believe those are blessings that we can have with God, but not if that is our focus.
that desire is all that God requires of you. That desire to have that emotional and physical, or that emotional and spiritual intimacy. That's what the world would say. Well, let's take that into something that we know. What about the marriage relationship? You know, the marriage relationship is often likened to that of our relationship in the church with Christ. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 23 through 25 says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. You know, many good things come from a good marriage. Emotional and physical intimacy are definitely blessings that result from a good marriage. But if that is all that is sought in that marriage, how long is that marriage going to last? If the covenant relationship, the bounds of that relationship are not kept, how long are you going to stay married? Not for long. Because times are going to be tough. There's going to be decisions that you have to make. And if all your decision is based upon is that emotional and physical intimacy, you're not going to do what is required of you to make that marriage strong. You know, sadly, many marriages are solely based on this, and they don't last. Submitting to and staying within the boundaries of our marriage is of utmost importance. But so is submitting to and staying within the boundaries of our obedience to God. It's the elementary things of the gospel. It's the, the simple things that we have. We cannot go lie, cheat, and steal and make that a habit and think that we're going to somehow maintain a good relationship with God. We have to put away the things of the flesh. But we are very blessed in Christ. We have many liberties in Christ. There are many things that aren't a matter of right and wrong. They're matters of judgment. And the choices that we make in these liberties, we can make a choice one way or the other, and neither one is sinful. But the choices we make can either draw us closer to Christ or get us closer to that line and getting back over and pursuing sin. In matters of judgment, we need to evaluate the consequences of those decisions so that we can make the best decision possible and receive the best outcome. I believe this is a way that we grow and mature as a Christian. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 23, it says, All things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me, but all things edify not. You know, the Apostle Paul, as he wrote this letter, he was evaluating some of the liberties that he had in Christ. He was specifically addressing the freedom to eat any kind of meat now under the law of Christ. Because they did not have the restrictions, the dietary restrictions that they had under the law of Moses. Eating certain things under the law of Moses was sinful. It was black and white. It was right 
To not eat, it was wrong to eat. But now they had a judgment to make. And here, Paul explains his thought process as he makes that decision in that matter of judgment. Verse 27, he says, If any of them that believe not bid you to, fit to the feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever is set before you, eat, asking no question for conscience sake. He said, don't have any, don't worry about it. If they set it before you, then eat it. It's fine. Verse 28, But if any man say unto you, This is offered in sacrifice to idols, eat not for his sake that showed it, and for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. So he says, but you need to take into consideration some other things as well. That if there's something that is going to put a stumbling block for your brother or sister in Christ, then think about that decision for a minute and see what is going to best be an influence for good for you and for your brother or sister in Christ. So would Paul, now that he has this new liberty, would he eat everything that was set before him? No. He would look at that and try to make the best decision in each given circumstance. There may be one time where he eats the thing set before him. And the very next time, he may not eat that very exact same thing because of his circumstances. He used his judgment. And I believe this was a judgment that he gained through submission to God's will. Through staying within those boundaries, but not just wanting to to walk the line, walk the fence, so to speak, and be as close to sin as he could, but pursue God and make God the center of the focus of his life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31, Whether therefore ye eat or drink, or whatsoever ye do, do all to the glory of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, that they may be saved. He said, I'm going to do whatever I can to, be a, to bring glory to God, and that's by bringing fruit to Him, by bringing others to allow them to know the same grace and goodness of God that I have. Paul realized that even in gray areas, there was, some, there was many times a better choice that could be made, and he looked for that better choice. Because he knew making good choices, choices that drew him closer to God, meant those were choices that were taking him farther and farther away from sin. You know, there's many different choices. The, the older you get, the more you realize that the world is full of gray areas. As a child, you wish, you think everything is black and white. It's in the, either in... I can do this box or I get a spanking if I don't or if I do it. And the world is black and white, but we realize that it's not. It's full of, it's full of gray areas. One of those areas or one of those things in life that has many gray areas is raising children. Now, children, children are a blessing from the Lord. And we do have a manual that tells us the gu certain guidelines, boundaries to stay within, but we don't have every decision. First month, turn to chapter 1. This is what you need to do. Second month, this is what you do. Teenage years, good luck. I mean, we don't have a manual that says this is the decisions that you need to make. 
And as a parent, that's scary oftentimes. But those decisions will get better if we are pursuing God and trying to make the best decision possible and weighing the pros and cons in those decisions and not allowing those decisions just to be made just however the, the dice fall. I think of decisions of where our kids, where we take our kids to school, what activities they're involved in, what friends they have, whether or not we give them all the vaccinations. The list is, goes on and on of the decisions we have to make with our children. As I said, it would be nice if they were all black and white, but the fact of the matter is, it's not. Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 4 says, As any fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. That's the black and white. Don't provoke them to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. There's lots of gray area in that. And the decisions that I make for my family, I hope and pray that they provide stability and leadership that my wife and my children need so that they can thrive spiritually, but also that they can grow to maturity so that they can strive physically and spiritually, but also that they can grow to maturity spiritually. No, but the decisions that I make for my family, they are bound upon my family alone. They're not the decisions that I don't make those decisions for anybody else. You know, regardless of the decision that I come to in matters of judgment for myself, for my family, I must not bind those judgments upon my brothers and sisters in Christ. If I do this, I allow those judgments in my mind to take the same place as the commandments of God. You know, who received the sharpest rebuke in the time of Christ? Those Pharisees that allowed their judgments to be elevated to the point of commands by God. When we make laws for others to follow from our judgments, we compromise the truth of God. And we hinder the growth not only of ourselves, but of those around us and those that we have influence over. If I stand in the pulpit here today and tell you that I have it figured out in whatever aspect of life that it is, in a matter of judgment, and I tell you that you need to follow me in matters of judgment, I've become just like those Pharisees. I've not allowed you the liberty that is granted to you in Christ to make those decisions for yourself. We're putting a glass ceiling, I believe, on our spiritual maturity when we do that. We run the risk of being no different than those Pharisees. And God had very stern warning to them. He went so far as to say their worship of Him was vain because they taught for doctrines the commandments of men. Matthew 15, 9. But in vain they do worship me, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. You know it's hard because we like our opinions. And I think my opinion's the best. Sometimes it may be, but sometimes it may be not be the best for you and your family or your situation or your judgment call that you have to make. I need to be willing 
in liberty to accept that. And you may make a different decision. And that doesn't make your decision right or wrong, and it doesn't make mine right or wrong. But I need to still maintain unity in the body of Christ when those decisions are made. No, the Apostle Paul warned Timothy about this in 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. That's pretty stern language. It says, Speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron, forbidding to marry and commanding to abstain from meats, which God hath created to be received with thanksgiving of them which believe and know the truth. And we talked about meats. And it would have been easy to say, don't eat meats. There's just too much involved with it. I don't want to go into it. Just don't eat meats. And then at some point, that becomes a law. Well, that became a law to some. And God said, that's a, that's a doctrine of devils. No, the Apostle Paul said in one place, it's better if you don't get married. But he made it very clear. He said, that's my opinion. That's not God. If you want to get married, get married. It's a blessing, and it's a blessing for the church. We wouldn't have elders. We wouldn't have deacons. We wouldn't have children if people didn't choose to be married. But he said, I believe it's better not to be married. But he did not make that a rule. He did not make that a law from God and look down upon his fellow Christians that chose to be married. We need to be careful in matters of judgment. I believe the next step or level of maturity in our relationship with God comes when our conscience is aligned with God's will. A conscience is something that is trained or formed over time. It's not something that we're born with. We're born understanding what we should and shouldn't do. But our conscience is molded based on our experiences, based on our pursuits, based on our desires. When it is formed based on things other than God's Word, it's not going to be aligned with and be able to be relied upon to help us to discern what's good and what's, what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's better. You know, I had an office mate when I worked in Beaumont for a time. I worked in an internship at, at an oil company, and he was from India. And so he, he had a background of, in Hinduism. He told me a story one time how when he was at Georgia Tech, he was pursuing a master's degree, and he had a friend. And he went with that friend in a car, and they went to a malt shop. And he said, what are you going to have? And he told him, I'm going to have a hamburger. So the Indian man said, okay, I'll have one too. So he had that hamburger. He said, man, that was tasty. Can I have another one? And I think he had a second one. Then he asked, What's, what is that hamburger? I don't think I've ever had anything like that. He said, it's cow. That Indian man's stomach immediately turned, and he threw, all, threw up all over the interior of that man's car. He had to clean it out. You know, he had a conscience that eating meat was wrong. It was sinful because those cows had a level of deity in his religion. You know, his conscience was not tempered with truth. 
it was based on something that that was wrong but it was based on what he knew growing up from a small child we must have our conscience aligned with God's word if it is going to be a blessing to us it wasn't a blessing to that man that day he thought that he didn't need to eat meat but as we've seen today it didn't matter what he ate The stronger we become, or the more that we exercise good judgment, and the more that we train our conscience to discern good and evil, right and wrong, what's good and what's better, our conscience will be a, more of an asset to us, and we'll be able to make judgments more readily and better judgments. Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 13 says, For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. When we make walking in godly wisdom and pursuing what's best, the goal of our life, it will give us the confidence, not in ourself, but in our relationship with God and in His Word, in our standing with God, that we need to, number one, help others get out of sin, and number two, make wise decisions in matters of judgment. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such an one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself lest thou also be tempted. Bear ye one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. God wants us to be helpful to one another. But the only way that we can help our brothers and sisters in Christ to get out of sin is if we are making that a priority in our life. If we're maintaining a distance from sin and pursuing God in matters of judgment. When we have this confidence and when we have this conscience, we're able to bring forth the fruit that God intends for us to. Thirty and sixty and a hundredfold, bringing glory to God. No, regardless of how close we become in our relationship with God, it's always important that we think soberly about our standing with Him. And that we continue to put the effort in to maintain that relationship and to maintain that course of growing and not just maintaining the status quo. 2 Peter chapter 3, verses 17 and 18 says, Stand ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, beware lest ye also being led away with the air of the wicked fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be glory both now and forever. Amen. As with any relationship, if we neglect our relationship with God, we may be close to Him at some point. But if we allow life and circumstances and issues that arise, and we neglect that pursuit of God, we could find ourselves back across the line not only not 
a strong Christian, but not even pursuing God, pursuing the lusts of our flesh, pursuing the things that we once abhorred because we had a conscience that was aligned with God's will. You know, it's sad to say, but we see too often men and women that were pillars in the church that had a strong marriage, and after many years, they get divorced, and one or both leave the church. Just because they had a strong marriage at some point doesn't mean that marriage is going to stay the course if the effort is not put into it. Now, even the Apostle Paul realized that he had to put effort. He had to strive for masteries and pursue God throughout his entire life if we, he was going to be found faithful. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly, so fight I, not as one that beateth the air. But I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means, when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. Paul got it. He understood, even if I'm an apostle of God, even if I'm able to do these many miraculous things and prove the Word of God is true, I can still fall from my standing. I can still be tempted and go back towards sin. If it was important for him to be diligent, how much more is it important for us? to stay diligent in our walks with God. Now, as I said in the beginning, I believe the story of the Bible is a love story. It's the most beautiful one that could ever be told. It's more noble and more compelling than anything else. The fact that God desires a relationship with you, His creation. He, just like you, want to see your children grow and mature. He wants to see you as his child grow to maturity and be blessed with the blessings he promises to give you through service to him. God pleads for your heart today. If you haven't started that journey, if you haven't began that pursuit of God, you need to put on Christ in baptism. You need to cross that line and enjoy the blessings that children of God have in Christ. You know, the terms of the gospel are very simple. Put off sin, name the name of Christ, and pursue God. Submit to baptism and have your sins washed away. You know, you can have the very best ending of the best love story. Revelation chapter 2 and verse 10. Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give you a crown of life. I hope you can make an evaluation in your life today where you stand before God. And I hope you're standing on the right side of the line. But even if you are, I hope that you will maintain your pursuit of God. 
and grow in your love for Him and your dedication to Him and make good judgments and give others the liberty that they have in Christ so that we can maintain the bond of unity that we have at this place. But in all things, pursue God. I believe that's all that I have prepared this morning. There's one that wants to put on Christ in baptism, wants to become a child of God and start that pursuit. Or if there is the one that feels that they have maybe backslidden some or fallen away and would like the help that is gained through the prayers of the church, please come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.